0: Uh, we're, we're in a, a new series that we started last week, uh, and this will be our second uh, message from it. Uh, it's called The Short Letters of the New Testament. And as you see on the, on the screen there, those are the, the five uh, short um, books of the New Testament that sometimes we neglect or skip over because they're so short. Some of them are just one chapter. Uh, and, uh, and even Titus has, has three chapters, I think, but it, they're very, very short. Uh, and uh, we're just going to take a, a little bit more in-depth look at these little books to see what, uh, what God can teach us from them. They're there for a reason, uh, and, uh, and God had something he wanted to say to us, and so we want to we just take a look at them. So we're in, we started with the book of Titus, and, and we're going to continue with the second message from that. Today we're in Titus 1, verse 10 through 16. Standing for the truth. That's what we're calling the message today. Last week, as we began the study of Titus in our, our series, The Short Letters of the New Testament, uh, we reviewed Paul's instructions to his evangelist, young evangelistic partner, Titus, on what kind of men he should appoint as elders uh, to be the leaders of the local congregations there on Crete. Um Paul gave a list there of qualifications that each elder should meet before he could be considered to fill this important role. You can't just choose anybody to be an elder. They they need to be a a, a man that's that's on top of their game as far as their walk with the Lord. Uh, The last qualification that we found uh, was in verse 9, and let's read that because we're going to consider that this morning. He must. this elder must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Uh, the, the elder uh, must know the truth found in God's word so that he can do two things as a leader of the local congregation. So he can, number one, encourage others by sound doctrine. This is uh, basically talking about uh, the, the members of the local congregation. He can encourage them by sound doctrine. The elder must know the truth, the sound doctrines of God, to include things like the deity and lordship of Jesus, uh, the inerrancy and reliability of Scripture to, to be the, the sole source of the Christian's faith and practice, um, God's design and will for the way we live our lives from day to day, the plan of salvation uh, uh, found in God's Word, the way we interact with each other with, with, in our relationships, the mission of the church, uh, which in the church being the body of believers uh, that follow Jesus. <clears throat> so the elder must know God's Word and and himself be a follower of God's Word so that he can then encourage others to do the same. The second uh, job for the elder is he must be able to and ready to refute those who oppose God's message and God's sound doctrine found in God's word. Unfortunately, there will always be those who attempt to distort the message of God. Throughout history, people have stood opposed to anything that God stands for. Mostly because of the influence of sin in the world that turns them against God. Remember when we were talking about uh, um, the beginnings in, in the book of Genesis a few months ago, uh, we read this verse about the days of Noah, Genesis 6, verse 5. And this was from the way, way, way back in the very beginning. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of, human, of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was evil all the time. That really hasn't changed much since then. Anytime human beings, because of ignorance or corruption, fail to follow and serve God, they become evil. It always happens that way. They adopt the practices and lifestyles and behaviors that are promoted by Satan. And when that happens, life begins to deteriorate. We talked about the uh, Lamentations, the fifth chapter of Lamentations during Sunday school today, and back during the time of Jerusalem, uh, when they were just in the worst possible place. And it's because their life had deteriorated because of sin. Civilizations become corrupt, oppressive, cruel, the value of life is reduced. The elite ruling class, they thrive. The, the poor working class, they suffer. In this world, the only thing that stands between chaos and order, between suffering and peace, corruption and justice, hatred and love, are those who follow God and his word. That's the hope for the world. Man's ways, no matter how noble, no matter how well intended they might start out to be, and sometimes they do, they always end with people turning to godless ways and sinful lifestyles that harm us, that harm our societies. The hope of the world is literally Christ and His church. You know, followers of Jesus, who by example, demonstrate to the world the way for you and me, for the whole world, for all mankind to find real joy and real peace, real love in their life. Living out the truths of God's word in Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. But here's the challenge. (laughs) You know, guess who makes up Christ's church? Human beings. You know, Left to their own natural course, all human beings, including Christian human beings, will wander from God's ways and follow the desires of their flesh if they're not following God's words, You know, our flesh doesn't want to follow God's Word. You know, our flesh wants to be greedy and it wants to be selfish. Our flesh is subject to resorting to anger and violence, hatred and corruption, to... to to get its way, to get what it wants. Our our flesh desires lust, not love. Left to its own devices without God's guidance, our flesh will always choose patterns that harm us, that harm people in our lives. The church is made up of human beings whose flesh has the exact same desires as people outside of the church. Flesh is flesh. And it wants what it wants. So what do we do to overcome our flesh and follow God's ways? Well, there's two two things that you and I as Christians have that the world doesn't have. We have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us when we accept Christ as our Savior. And we have God's Word that guides us. You know, if we will simply yield, and I say simply, it's, it's not... Always simple, but if we will yield our lives to the Holy Spirit's guidance, and if we will follow God's Word, we can overcome the desires that our flesh has that lead us astray. In fact, it's the only way we can overcome our flesh, and that is to yield our life to the Spirit, to follow God's Word. So as we read there in verse 9 in Titus 1, one of the roles of the elders in the local church is to help us as a body of believers stay focused on God's word. You know, because they're at the top of their game. Uh, in order to be an elder, you've got to be, as far as your walk with the Lord, you've got, you've got to be someone that's at the top of your game when it comes to walking with God. You know, because they are there, they are then able to help guide us, the rest of us, and help the rest of us Stay in step, and stay in step with God's word and his spirit. They can also refute those who oppose God's word. You know, it seems that the church on Crete faced some people who were trying to lead Christians away from the truth. And it was the elders' job, Paul tells Titus, it's their job to help prevent that from happening. Let's read what was going on there in Crete. Uh, Titus 1, verse 10 through 16. For, and, and again, Paul's talking to Titus about what's going on there on the island. For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. One of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Therefore, refute them or rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and, and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, Both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. You know, on the island of Crete, there were a group of people who were teaching a false doctrine. Uh, In fact, Paul describes what they are doing as corrupt, detestable, disobedient, and unfit for anything good. Now, who were these people, and and, and what were they teaching there on the island? It's likely that they were a group of Jews who were trying to mix Judaism and Christianity. Uh, Paul calls them the circumcision group. Circumcision was a Jewish practice of that day, and so that was the name given to them. Now usually uh, when you have a group like this, a false teaching like this, usually that means it's a rejection of God's grace uh, through Jesus in favor of following Jewish law. In other words, they teach that you're saved by following the rules and how well you follow the rules rather than being saved by God's grace given to you when you put your faith in Jesus, which is what Christianity teaches you know The fact that they were disrupting whole households, Paul says, may be an indication that they were leading entire families uh, away from Christ and into this false teaching. And they may be motivated not by a desire to teach the truth, but he says by a desire for dishonest gain, for maybe power, recognition, or even money. Now, apparently, Crete and Cretans— uh, at that time, at least, had had somewhat of a reputation for corruption and uh, deception. Paul even quotes a, a famous Cretan prophet who wrote around the year 600 BC. Uh, that no doubt in, any Cretan would be familiar with. Oh yeah, I've heard of I've heard of him. His name was Epimenides. Epimenides wrote uh, that all Cretans are liars. Uh, now Epimenides was a Cretan himself so which means I guess he was a liar too right uh so which means that he might have been telling the truth that all all Cretans were liars anyway that was the that was the prophecy that all Cretans were familiar with uh and here Paul he's simply just recognizing this Cretan claim of this prophet you know you Cretans yourself have said that lying is a a Cretan issue a Cretan tradition now uh Cretan tradition or not You know, whether that was true, that all Cretans are liars or not, those who lie about anything, especially something as important as God's truth, you know, they should be rebuked sharply, Paul says in verse 13, so that sound doctrine can be maintained. So one of the jobs of an elder is to refute those who spread false truth. Uh, false doctrine especially within the church and this is where the problem was taking place within the church they should be familiar enough with God's truth to know the difference between what is true and what is false and strong enough bold enough to stand up to those who attempt to teach something different you know God's church doesn't need wishy-washy leaders uh, who are afraid to speak out when when false teaching is being spread They've got to be ready at all times to to do as Barney Fife would say, nip it in the bud (laughs) before it causes harm, before it disrupts our households and takes whole families away. You know, as we said last week, all of us, not just elders, but all of us should be ready to stand up for truth and reject anything that is false. While it is uh, the primary job, one of the primary jobs of an elder, it is also something that all of us must be ready to do, no matter what the consequences might be if we do that. You know, we live in a time when when false truth uh, is trying to push its way into our culture and sadly into our churches today. You know, most of us have probably heard of the term woke or wokeness. Most of us have heard that wokeness basically is being aware of the more progressive and enlightened way of thinking. You know, wokeness means waking up and recognizing that beliefs that have been recognized as truth for centuries or millenniums are suddenly not true at all. You know, for example, since the beginning of time, mankind has recognized that there are two sexes, male and female. God's word makes it very clear that that's true. God created man, then he created woman, and then he stopped creating genders. There are no more. It's clear in God's word, God's truth, that there are only male and female. But our woke culture is telling us that God's word and thousands of years of history is suddenly wrong. There aren't two genders, there are endless numbers of genders. In fact, young children can even decide to change their gender if they decide that they're actually not a boy as they were born, but they're a girl. And parents agree to let doctors give their children drugs to help them transition into their identified gender. You know, if we don't recognize uh, that this is the new truth, You know, if we dare to try to stand up on God's truth and say that, no, there's only male and female, or if we dare to say that a child born a boy cannot be a girl, guess what? You're canceled. You're canceled if you say that. You lose your job. Your your business is boycotted. Your Facebook or Twitter account are canceled. Your YouTube channel is revoked. You must bow to the woke gods or you will be punished. We've all heard of coaches who have been fired because they dare to oppose male born athletes participating in female sporting events. They lose their job because they voice an opposition to that. And the god of wokeness is the environment. You know, God wants us to take care of creation. You know, he's opposed to polluting the rivers and and sending choking smog up into the air. God doesn't want that. Clean air, clean water, you know, those are essential things for life, and we all want that. Being responsible citizens of the earth is something that God, the creator of the earth, desires. We must be good, good stewards of his creation. He approves of that. But the woke gods tell us that if we don't bow to them and do as they say, God's world that he created will be completely destroyed by mankind in 10 years. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? God created the whole universe and we can destroy it. If we do not bow down and worship the earth as they do, we will be punished. We will be canceled. Rather than worshiping the creator, we are commanded to worship the created. And anything less than that to them is heresy. Rather than following the teachings of Jesus that all human beings are precious in the sight of God, no matter your race, no matter your sex, no matter your ethnic origin, no matter your economic position in life, wokeness is telling us that we must be ashamed of ourselves because of how we were born, because of the color of our skin. It's contrary to the teachings of Jesus. Even the teachings of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who dreamed that America should be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their hearts. Try to teach that today in our culture, in some places and on some platforms, and you will be swiftly Canceled. For so long, we as American Christians have had the luxury of being able to say Christian persecution is something that other people deal with, not Americans. That's something that happens in faraway lands, not here. But folks, we can no longer make that claim. Today, as we speak, Forces in our culture, both in government and outside of government and in corporate America, are gathering strength to tell you and me what we're allowed to think and what we're allowed to say. And if we don't stand up against it and rebuke it, those who wish to continue preaching God's truth as we recognize it in His Word, we're going to be driven underground because it will not be tolerated in the open. It's coming quickly. When wokeness first came out, when that term wokeness first came out, what did we do? We rolled our eyes. <laughs> Those crazy people. Ah, they're they're silly, folks. We we need we don't need to be laughing at it anymore. It's not anything to laugh at anymore. It is a very serious threat to our freedom as Americans to believe and practice our faith as we see fit without persecution. Look, if they want to believe all that stuff go ahead, it's a free country. You believe what you want to believe, but don't tell me, don't tell us, we've got to believe the same thing. And as we face false teaching in our time, the question is, you know, and I've got all riled up here today, but the, the question is, <laughs> how do we respond to it? That's, that's the question, in not it? That's the question. How do we respond to it? How do we stand up for truth, but at the same time, stand as someone who is seeking to be Christ-like? That's the challenge, isn't it? It's tricky, but you know what? It can be done. You know, first of all, churches must appoint elders who will boldly do, as Paul calls for, and rebuke any false teaching that tries to infiltrate the church, as Paul says in verse thirteen. The elders are the guardians of the truth in the local congregation. False teaching inside the church cannot stand. I think we're we're good there here at Stony Brook. Many churches, though, have caved to the woke world. They fear rejection by rejection by the elite. Uh uh, they, feel reject, they, they fear rejection from the media and from political leaders. Uh, they are more interested in being accepted by society than they are following God's word. So, they rationalize sinful behavior. They redefine and ignore God's word. They stand for everything, which means they stand for nothing. Paul is adamant that we stand for God's truth no matter what society says or how they react to us. So elders must be willing to refute false teaching, Paul says. But secondly, all of us must stand for truth in and outside of the church. You know, in order to do that, we must be ready to be opposed (laughs) We must be ready to be persecuted. Jesus warned us that persecution is going to happen if you're a follower of his. He said in Luke 6, verse 22, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. That's happening right now. Jesus warned us about that. Paul wrote to Timothy and warned him, 2 Timothy 3, 12-13, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You know, persecution is often, often a part of following Jesus because his teachings are contrary to what the world teaches woke churches fear persecution so they cave you know, they convince themselves that caving equals loving you know if I accept anything you do and believe uh, I accept you and everything you do and believe that means I love you uh, and, and and since God calls us to love our neighbor then I guess he must want us to cave. You know, but you know what? We can love our woke neighbors without caving. You know, Jesus did it. He led with love, and then he applied the truth. You know, one of the greatest examples of that is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. Let's read that. Then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Oh, we've always wondered where the man was. If they caught her he must have been there too, right? <laughs> Where's he at? But they just brought the woman. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stopped, stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now Jesus did not cave and condone this woman's sin or any sin that any of the stoners had ever committed. And and all of them apparently had because they all walked away. But he didn't condone anybody's sin that day. Now what he did was establish the fact that all of us have sinned against God, this woman and everyone that wanted to throw a stone. Sin is real and we've all done it, right? Get the plank out of your own eye before you get the the spot of dust out of your neighbor's eye. Matthew 7, verse 3 through 5. Jesus did not condone this woman's sin, but before he condemned her sin, which he did, before he condemned her sin, he made sure that she knew he loved her. I don't condemn you to be punished because of your sin. That's what these men wanted to do. They wanted to punish her for her sin right there i don't condemn you to be punished because of your sin you see jesus was getting ready himself to be condemned and punished for her sin and yours and mine you see jesus uh, understood what was going on here and what these guys were doing yeah what a contrast between the stoners and jesus who do you think she felt more love from? The Stoners? For Jesus? Who do you think she might possibly go back to learn more from? The Stoners? For Jesus? I think the answer is pretty clear there. But then, but then, Jesus quickly acknowledges to the woman that her sin was unacceptable to God. Now, he could have been woke. And said, Now, sweetheart, don't you worry about those mean old men. You just go on and do whatever you think is right. I mean, we all know that what's really important is love, right? And and if you and that man are, are really in love, then then who am I to say that it's wrong? He could have said something like that. But no, he said, Go now and leave your life of sin. Stop this sinful behavior that you're involved with. I love you, but this behavior is sinful, so stop it. You know, when we encounter people who are living sinful lifestyles, in humility, which means we remember that we're sinners too, we're lost in our sin without Jesus just as much as anybody else, first show them love. First, show them love. Like meeting a need that they might have. By inviting them to church and welcoming them if they come. Offer to sit with them or for them to sit with you. Welcome them, not their lifestyle, not their sin, but them. You know, if we stand on the truth as an individual and as a church, if we stand on the truth, It won't take them long to realize what we believe and what we stand for. Uh, It won't take them long for them to realize that we believe their lifestyle is sinful. And that might make them uncomfortable to come back. Uh, They might get angry and leave and never come back. That might happen once they understand the truth that we believe. Because we told them later or because they heard it in a lesson or something. But if so, if they do leave because of the truth that we believe in, it will be be because of the truth we stand for, not the way we treated them. And because we led with love, you know what? They might be drawn towards the truth because of our love. Like Jesus, lead with love. Perhaps the most important thing that we can do is teach our family the truth. Teach your kids that that much of today's wokeness is contrary to God's word. It's contrary to the opinions of Jimmy Kimmel and Jimmy Fallon and J- Stephen Colbert. It's is common to is con- contrary to the talking heads of media. It's contrary to most of Hollywood and much of Washington D.C. and famous athletes. God's word is contrary to what many of our children's friends might believe and teach or and have been taught. Um, and to stand for God's truth might mean losing friends sometimes. Sometimes that's the price you pay for standing for the truth. People reject you. But it will also mean that other friends, ones who believe like you do, like your children do, uh, will be new friends that they might have, and if if our children learn to lead with love, they might be able to win some of their friends over to the truth. As followers of Jesus, false teaching is all around us, and persecution is here, and it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. But remember, Jesus said, that comes with following me, folks. It's part of being a Christian. So let's all stand with our elders inside and outside of the church for God's truth. You know, we can love without caving, it can be done. We do that by humbly living a Christ like life ourselves. Remember, to the lost, he led with love, and then he applied the truth. Jesus did. To the lost, Jesus led with love, and then he applied the truth. Now, for people in the church, to religious people, he went right to the point, because they should have known better. But to the lost, he led with love, then applied the truth. Sometimes when the truth is applied, it's rejected. That just comes with the territory. But at least they are shown that God loves them. And often that love can draw them to Christ. So what's the take home for today? Don't be surprised by persecution. Don't be surprised. You know, we have been shielded from it for so long. Uh, And and so it it hurts when it comes and we don't like it because we're not used to it. But those days are slipping away, folks. Accept the reality of persecution and prepare yourself to stand for God's truth even in the midst of it. But also let's be known for our compassion and our love as much as we are known for our stand on the truth. Both are important. You know, we can do both. Remember, caving is not love. Love is meeting a need. Love is giving a listening ear. Love is showing empathy and compassion. Maybe what somebody we're talking to believes is just way out there, and we know it's not true, but, but they're, they're feeling these feelings, and, and, and we can just listen to them and at least empathize with them if we don't agree with them because their feelings are real. We can do that and still stand on the truth that we worship God, not the environment. That an unborn life is as precious as any other life. We can do both. Don't let the fear of persecution and rejection scare you from standing for the truth. And don't let standing for the truth overshadow your love for the lost. Ask God to show you how you can do both. So buckle up. You know, the road ahead is not going to be easy, folks. Always remember, though, that in the end, victory is ours. It's ours. No matter what happens in this life. And remember, we're not alone. You know, we talked about Elijah recently, and uh God reminded Elijah, who thought he was the only one left. God reminded him that. There were thousands more just like him who were ready to stand with him in service to God and against evil. And we're not alone either, even though sometimes we might think we are. Their voices are loud. And it sounds like they're in control and overwhelming. But I think we outnumber them. We just need to be able to stand up. So let's stand together as a church here. And with other Christians and other churches. And we can make a difference. And it starts with you and me. As followers of Jesus. Boldly loving. And boldly standing for the truth. Father thank you so much. For um, the warnings that you give us. In scripture. Sometimes we, we just get so comfortable. In our lifestyles. And we get so comfortable as Americans in just everything going smoothly and being peaceful when all of a sudden we're being uh, rejected or there's opposition, we're not used to it and so we run and hide or maybe we're tempted to compromise and cave and many have but well, Lord help us to know that being a follower of you means being rejected, being opposed, being persecuted and we're seeing that now so, Lord, I pray that, uh, that we won't let those fears cower us and make us hide and be silent, but we'll stand up strong for the truth. But, Lord, we're so tempted sometimes to just kind of uh, be the same as them, and we get rude and we get angry and we get and we want to be violent sometimes. And, you know, that's, that's not the way Jesus did it. Help us to to know that we can love people we can we can reach out to them and meet a need and we can invite them to church and we can pray for them and encourage them without caving we can love them and hopefully they'll learn the truth and some of them will be drawn to it so uh, give us the strength and the courage and the boldness we we need give us the guidance we need to both be loving and stand for truth